Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, and this is show number 856. Well, before I tell you about the most recent episode of Programming by Stealth, I want to just take a moment to celebrate the fact that I have produced 700 episodes of Chit Chat Across the Pond. That's a lot. You know, in some ways, that show is a bit harder than the NoSillaCast because it means convincing someone to come on the air with me and coordinating schedules with someone else. Of course, the vast majority of those episodes have been with my very dear friend, Bart, which is why he's my very dear friend. Okay, enough celebrating. Let's talk about the next episode. And for this very special episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond, we take programming by stealth into what Bart is calling phase two. We've learned a great deal about the client side of programming, and now we're going to move into the server side of the web. As Bart described phase two in this episode, I realized that it's as though we finished our undergraduate work in computer science and we're entering graduate school. That observation is not based on the concepts being harder necessarily, but rather because we're going to work as a collective in helping our professor on a project that's near and dear to his heart. Bart created the fabulous web-based password creation tool at xkpasswd.net many years ago. In fact, so long ago that it's on a very creaky set of tools that have been deprecated and the entire service will die if he doesn't move it into modern tools. This is going to be a great excuse for us to learn how to work on the new tools as Bart is forced to learn them, and at the same time, we will be enlisted to help him with the development of the new and improved XKPassWD. I was really excited as I listened to Bart lay out the future of the next 100 or so episodes and everything we're going to learn. Whether you've been working alongside the rest of the listeners since Programming by Stealth 1 of X, or whether you're a seasoned programmer who'd like to learn the new tools like Bootstrap 5 and PHP 8, I think you'll have great fun with the next phase of Programming by Stealth. You can listen to this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond in your podcatcher of choice, either under CCATP or under Programming by Stealth. And of course, there's a link in the show notes directly to this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. When Lori Gill was on Chit Chat Across the Pond after Apple announcements, she always said that she loved the new operating systems even more than the new gadgets because they make the old devices feel new. This year, you get to play with iOS 15 whether you have a new iPhone or not. iOS 15 works on iPhones as far back as the 6S. Now, it's a little harder to figure out the oldest iPad on which iPad OS 15 works, but it definitely works on the iPad Air 2, the first-gen 12.9-inch iPad Pro, and the iPad Mini 4. There's a few things in iOS 15 that absolutely delight me, and I wanted to chat a bit about them. If you don't hear your favorite feature mentioned, drop me a line and tell me about it. If you can't get some features to work that I describe, be sure to check the feature availability page at apple.com to see if this feature is available in your country. The feature I'm probably using more than anything else in iOS 15 is live text. I must have used this feature at least 20 times so far. Live text is the feature that allows you to use the iPhone's camera to capture real text. Now, Sandy uh, kicked off a fun conversation in our Slack community where we all started sharing the different ways we have discovered to implement live text. Sandy took a photo of a tracking number, and when she tapped on the text in the image, she was given the option to copy it as text. She was then able to paste it directly into her app, Deliveries, in order to track that package. 
Now, I discovered another method to do kind of the same thing. If you open up an app where you can type text such as Apple Notes, if you tap and hold on the text input area, one of the pop-up options is a little box with lines inside of it, and that's the symbol for live text. If you tap that little box icon, it will launch the camera in the bottom half of the screen. Point the camera at the text you want to capture, and that, that text is going to get a little yellow bracket around the text that it finds. Tap the shutter button, and it copies the text and pastes it directly into your notes field, so you never have to take an actual photo. I've been using it like this, and I've been loving it. I had some x-rays taken by our vet of Tesla's shoulder recently, and I wanted to download them as images. I needed to come up with unique names to save these images, and I thought, you know, it would be brilliant to set the name of the file to the description the technician had put on the x-ray, such as L humorous lat left. Now, that doesn't mean anything to me, but when I need to show it to somebody, it probably would. Rather than laboriously transcribing that into the Save As window, I simply po pointed my phone's camera at the image that was on screen on my Mac. So I've got the, the image on my Mac, but I want to save it with this name. So I'm using my iPhone to look at that image on my, with my iPhone, and I tap the same little yellow box icon to capture that live text, and I selected Copy. Now, remember, we've got continuity on the Mac and iOS, so now that the copy buffer on my phone has the name that I'm looking for, that means my Mac has it too, so I was able to simply use Command-V on the Mac to paste that name into the Save As dialog box. I made that sound really complicated, you know, as I often do, but all I did was point the iPhone's camera, tap twice, Command-V on the, on the Mac, and I was done. Way more faster and way more accurate than actually typing. Now, my method works for some things, but in a lot of cases, I think Sandy's method might be even better. Several times I've needed things like a tiny serial number on a package, but it's so close to some other text that my method can't isolate just the piece that I want. With Sandy's method of actually taking a photo, you can zoom in and use your fingers to capture just the text that you want. Lewis in the same Slack conversation said that he's used live text to capture the tracking number from the label for a package he's about to ship. He points the camera at the tracking number, taps the live text button, taps the number to be scanned, and he said that track shipment is one of the options right there. As he says, it's freaking magic! Now, I haven't been out of the country in a coon's age, but according to Apple's support page about live text, you can take a photo with a language that's foreign to you, select the text in the photo, and ask it to translate for you. Talk about freaking magic. Lastly, not quite as magical, but still really cool, is that you can look up the meaning of words in your photos as well. Now, my second favorite feature in iOS 15 is called Visual Lookup. I stumbled across this one all on my own, and it's really cool. I was on one of my long walks for exercise, and I wanted to play with the new macro capability on the iPhone 13 Pro. I took a super close-up photo of this weird little succulent leaf. You know how at the bottom of the screen in, iPhone, in, sorry, in photos on iOS, you have four icons, a share button, a heart, an eye for get info, and a trash can? Well, this little leaf had one of those eye buttons, but it also had two stars next to the eye. Well, I had no choice. I had to tap on that icon and see what it was. When I tapped it, that's called the visual lookup icon, the image slid up and exposed the EXIF info about the location of the photo, the detail about the camera, and the lens with which it was taken. The plant in my photo suddenly had a little leaf icon on it, and below the image it showed the same leaf and it said, look up, plant. Again, what else could I do but tap that? 
It replaced the bottom half of my screen with the results of Siri knowledge, telling me that this little plant I've been seeing all my life is called a Porto, let's see if I can do this again, Portulacaria or elephant bush. How cool is that? Well, my next order of business, completely forgetting about getting any more exercise, was to start flipping through my older photos taken well before iOS 15 to see if any other images had the eye with the stars next to it so I could do more visual lookup. I came across a photo of my son Kyle's lovely dog Charlie with the visual lookup icon. When I tapped the icon, this time the pooch had a paw print icon on her nose and it said visual lookup dog. Following that link correctly identified her as a Labrador retriever. I read up on visual lookup and saw that it can also identify popular landmarks. I searched my photos for Paris, and I found a photo I took from a high tower looking down at the city, and in the center was a structure with a large gold dome roof. Now, I'm great about sorting my photos into little albums and putting dates and such on them, but I'm terrible at remembering the names of landmarks. No worries, Apple Photos to the rescue with visual lookup. The photo had a lovely eye with the stars, indicating visual lookup was available, and when tapped, the dome had a little map symbol on it. I tapped the visual lookup button, and I was delighted to be reminded that the building was called Invalides. It offered a Wikipedia link, and I tapped it, hoping to remember why it had that name. But the little pop-up only gave me the briefest of information, like the name of the architect and the height. I expected to be able to go all the way into the Wikipedia article, but I could not. Because of that limitation, I'm going to have to rely on my memory of our friend Suzanne saying it was a hospital around the time that Napoleon was tramping about. Now, I should mention that Visual Lookup isn't using any kind of geotagging for this trick. I know that because the photo of Invalides was taken with a big girl camera which lacked geotagging. The little icons for Visual Lookup suggest that prominent landscape could also be identified, so I looked for the Visual Lookup icon on a few photos of the iconic Grand Tetons mountain range and a classic photo I took of Machu Picchu, and I never got the little eye with the stars. It's possible I'm misinterpreting the icon and that landscapes aren't identified, but it was worth a shot. I think Visual Lookup is really nifty and I'm going to be using it a lot. I'll look things up and then about eight minutes later completely forget what kind of plant that was and what that building or monument was. Speaking of geotagging, you can finally do just that with Apple Photos on iOS. If you tap the little I, with or without stars, you'll see a pop-up on iPad or a slide-up on the iPhone. One of the options is to add a location. Now, I expected to get a map view that I could pinch and zoom around on, but instead you get a blank screen and a text field to enter new location. You can type in the name of a city or the name of a landmark to set the location. Once you've done that, you'll see your image in a map view, but even then you can't adjust the location by dragging the photo around. You can only add a new location in that text field. It's a nice first step in geotagging, but I don't think you'll be dumping Geo anytime soon if you're into geotagging. Not only can you add the location for your photos in iOS 15, but you can also adjust the date they were taken. With modern phones and some modern big girl cameras, the date and time is recorded so you would never need to adjust them. But if your big girl camera doesn't know the date and time, this could be great for making sure your photos reflect the correct date. Now the reason I need this feature is that Steve is scanning in all of our family photos from the days before digital photography, and all of the dates show as the date he scanned them in. With Apple Photos and iOS 15, I could, I could set the correct dates. Now I say I could do that, but you know what? 
I probably won't use Apple Photos with a massive number of photos to change. Unfortunately, with Apple Photos, you have to select each image one at a time, tap Get Info, tap Adjust, and then change the date and time. Geotagging is one photo at, as a, at a time as well. With the wonderful app Hash Photos for iOS, you can select a whole group of photos and change their dates and locations all in one fell swoop. If you'd like to check out Hash Photos, I wrote it up quite a while ago, and it's just as great as I said it was back then. I'm not a normal person when it comes to photos. Most people I know rely completely on Apple Photos or Google Photos to help them find images in their libraries. Unlike those anarchists, I organize a great deal of my photos into albums and date-labeled folders, and I also name a lot of my images. I will admit that now that I take, I don't know, 637 photos every day I'm with my grandchildren, that whole naming thing has fallen a little bit by the wayside, but for major trips and events, I'm still pretty good about doing it. I simply love being able to type something like bat into search, and Apple Photos finds the photo of my brother Grant wearing the massive wood structure bat costume my father made for him in 1962. That kind of bat isn't easily recognized by algorithms, but since I name my photos, I can get to it quickly with search. Naming images in Apple Photos on the Mac is really hard. If you work in the grid view, you can enable the title field in the metadata and then just type and uh, tap in there and type the title. But you can't hit tab to go to the next image and type again. You have to take your hands off the keyboard and you have to tap on the next image to select that field and then type again. That doesn't sound hard, but it's time-consuming Time consuming when it could be so much more efficient. If you work in the individual photo view, it's somewhat worse. To entitle an image, you work in the Get Info window. That means clicking in the title field in Get Info, typing in your title, then clicking back on the image, and then you can use the arrow keys or the trackpad to swipe the next image, then you have to click back in the Get Info window and type the next one. This isn't hard if you're doing a handful of photos, but to entitle the photos from our week-long trip to Paris with Dean and Suzanne, it's very tedious. If it's tedious, that friction can be enough to stop me from ever doing it. The other thing about naming photos on the Mac is that I've got this weird bug where as I'm typing into the title field, it'll type part of what I've written, and then suddenly everything I've typed disappears and the capture name of the file comes back into the field. I can try again, and it usually fails a second time, but by the third or fourth try, it's going to stick. So yeah, tedious doesn't begin to describe my feelings about that. The reason I bring this all up is that I've always wanted to be able to name my photos using the iPad, but the title field isn't an option in photos. In iOS 14, Apple added a caption field when you swipe up on an image in photos on iPhone or iPad. Now, when this first came out, I tested the option and it worked great. But when I went back to photos on my Mac, searching by what I typed in on captions on iOS did not show up on the iPad. I, I'm sorry, did not show up on the Mac. I was sad about that. There's a remote chance I just did it wrong in my original testing, but I can say for sure with iOS 15, captions added via my iPhone and iPad do indeed carry over to the Mac version of photos and they are searchable. I am unbelievably happy about this. In macOS Photos, if I search for a word or words, Photos gives me the results in sections by where it found it. For example, I search for the word hand after entering Forbes hand as a caption on a photo of my grandson. The search results for hand showed up under albums, categories, captions, titles, places, and file name. And right there in the caption section was my photo of Forbes putting his hand on his face. 
I have to mention that in categories, it found 251 photos it considered to be handwriting, 59 it thought had a handbag in it, and seven photos it thought was of a handgun. I'm not a gun person, so I had to go back and look at that category. It decided that two circuit boards, one wine bottle, a pair of vacuum attachments, a ring camera installation guide, and a waterproof pouch were all guns. The one actual gun was in a photo from Kevin Alder when he was holding my childhood horse Mipples hostage until I bought Steve a 27-inch iMac back in 2012. But that's a whole other story. But back to the point. I can now use captions entered on the iPad whilst leaning back on the couch watching TV to identify my photos for future searches on my Mac, and I am super happy about that. Now, if you use an iPad, you've probably accidentally triggered slide over and split screen at one time or another. You may even have tried to use them intentionally. You may even have succeeded at using them once in a while. But no matter how much practice you put into using them, they evade you pretty often. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, let me elaborate a little bit. In iOS 9, Apple introduced multitasking for iPad, and as far as I know, they haven't made a single improvement to it since then. Split screen allows you to view two apps side by side, split either 50-50 or you could drag a little slider, make it 25-75 or 75-25. Now slide over is a little bit different. It lets you temporarily slide in an app from the side of the screen that floats over the app you're working on. If you want to go really wild, you can have two apps in split screen and a third in slide over. You can also have the same app in split screen with itself if the app supports two windows. Both of these features are really cool, but they've been traditionally very annoying to invoke. With iOS 15, they haven't made it perfect, but I think it's far easier to invoke reliably and predictably, and they've also made it much more discoverable. Any app that supports multitasking will now have a three-dot icon at the top of the screen. When you tap the icon, it changes to show three graphical representations of your options. First is a solid black full screen button, which you can select to get out of split screen. Second is an icon that's black on the left half and white on the right half. If you select this, your current app will slide mostly out of view to the left, revealing your home screen and dock where you can select another app to split to the right. Now I'm being very specific to point out that the black part of the icon is your currently open app, because that becomes really important in the last option. The last option is a mostly white box with a small sliver of black box on the right. If you tap this icon, you'll see the same action of the current app sliding out of the way and revealing the desktop, except this time your current app slides off to the right. That's because the current app is the one that's going to become the slide over app. So then you select a second app from your desktop or dock and you'll see that one full screen with the original app floating to the right. Now, this might sound complicated, but it's visually pretty obvious. And the most important thing is that it is predictable. In the old way, you had to kind of swipe up on the second app and make sure not to pull it too far to the right if you wanted slide over or hit that sweet spot to the right where it would go split screen. I used it all the time, and I would say my success rate was around 43%. Now, my one beef with the new method is I think it's very rare that I'd be using an app and I want that app to be the slide over app. A much more typical scenario for me is that I'm typing away in Ulysses or Mail, and then I get a notification from a text app like Telegram. I want to stay in my current app, and I want to bring Telegram in as the slide over app temporarily to answer the person and then throw it back off screen. 
I literally never think of doing it in the opposite direction, but that's the default with the new icons in iOS 15. Now, the good news is that the old method of invoking slideover still works if you can count on the old method as a workable way to use it. Here's another cool thing about this new multitasking method. It's much more accessible. Now, while it was certainly technically possible to do the gestures without being able to see, having a dedicated and yet tiny and unobtrusive button to invoke multitasking with voiceover is fantastic. After you select the option you want, such as split view, which of course voiceover reads out loud, and when the current app slides to the left, as you move your finger around on the desktop, voiceover says, add maps to split view with Safari. It is awesome. Works really, really well. Now, I know we were all hoping for true multitasking on the ever more powerful iPads, but at least the new method of multitasking is less aggravating than the old method, and you might actually notice that it's an option for you. The bottom line is that iOS 15 has a lot of slick features that delight me, and I think it's a nice little upgrade. My list was certainly not exhaustive, but these things have given me a lot of joy in the short time I've been using the new operating system. Like I said early on in talking about this, if there are enhancements in iOS 15 that surprise and delight you, please let me know what they are. Okay, enough of me. Let's listen to a great listener review from the returning Tom Maddock. Hello, fellow castaways. This is Tom here, coming to you with a cool gadget. Now, first of all, the problem to be solved. I just got a brand new iPhone 13 Pro. These things are expensive. We want to make sure they're safe. We don't want to drop them. Every year when I get a new phone, I get a new case. I thought this year I'd try out the MagSafe clear case. After all, you're getting a shiny new iPhone, you want to show it off. If it's in a regular case, you're not going to be able to see it too well. I didn't know that that case was going to be very, very, very slippery. So, when I was trying to use it the other week to send some signal messages, I kept slipping it on my hand. I almost dropped it several times. Luckily, I had already ordered this item. It's a MagSafe pop socket. Now a pop socket, for those of you who don't know, is a little knob. It can fit on the back of your phone so you can hold it. It can spin, it can pull out so you can hold it away from you so you can, I guess, do portrait video or take a picture better. This pop socket, like I said, sticks by a MagSafe, Apple's new fantastic Technology that I love very much. I use my MagSafe dual charger all the time. Well, this fits on there nice and snug. Unless you really are pulling on it, really want it to come off, it's not going to come off. It snaps right into place when you need it to, and it gives just enough surface area that I can grip it. And I haven't dropped it once and slipped down my hand once since I've had this thing. And I had it Saturday. I'll send Allison the link, and she can put it in the show notes. If anybody wants to check it out, it's really, really cool, and I recommend it highly. It's not that expensive either. I didn't think so. For the peace of mind it gives, absolutely not. So remember, folks, please keep supporting this uh, great podcast, and uh, stay subscribed. 
Well, thanks for that, Tom. That was fantastic. I especially like that you threw your phone on the floor just for the uh, for the comedy there. That was great. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who swear by pop sockets, but it seems so ungainly to have for you know a dedicated case for it. Or I think back in the old days, you had to actually stick it to your phone and you couldn't take it off. With the MagSafe version, you can have it on when you want it and take it off easily when you don't. Now, the link Tom sent to the Amazon uh, to purchase the pop socket with MagSafe shows that you can get it in a tasteful black, gold Lutz marble, or opal that's kind of psychedelic for $30. If you want to get a little bit fancier, they even have a MagSafe pop socket wallet for $40. Now, it says in stock soon, so it looks like these are a hot item. I really appreciate the review, Tom, and the reminder for people to stay subscribed. This week's superhero of the Podfeed podcast is Christian Holscher. Now, he's been a longtime contributor to the show, but if my ciphering is correct on the unit conversions from euros to dollars and the max monthly pledge options, I think he doubled his support through Patreon. If I'm wrong about those calculations, he's still a hero because he's been a supporter for so long. Now, you too can be a hero like Christian and get your name up and lights on the podcast by going to podfeet.com slash Patreon and pledging an amount that shows your appreciation for the work we do here. Thank you so much, Christian. You rock. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchot's doing it a day early for me. Thank you so much, Bart, for accommodating my continuing needs to see my grandchildren. Hey, always happy to help, you know, helping people see family in these particular two years. That, that That's worth something. So <laughs> I, I do my best to oblige because I think it's so important. It absolutely is. I, I posted a picture on Facebook. They they send you these memories of, uh, you know, this day five years ago. Only the picture they they had me look at was of Lindsay, uh, Lindsay and Kyle when they were like five and three. But I posted it five years ago. But it's like, wow, time really does fly when your kids are young. <laughs> that is impressive pretty fun um actually what's particularly impressive is sometimes when you see those older pictures of say in your case it's kyle or whatever their kids look awfully like them oh they really do yeah it's 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 fascinating know, yeah, to watch yeah because yeah, like my brothers have had kids and they're just mini me's it's really quite <laughs> impressive although uh, the, my youngest nephew is actually a mini version of my dad oh that's is, even like, more fun skipped over one you know <laughs> Well, Lindsay looked just like Steve when she was a baby, so I th- always thought that was a little odd. <laughs> I did most of the work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, this isn't this uh, this week in grandchildren, so we should probably dig into some fun security bits, or not so fun as the case may be. A bit of a mixed bag. Um, nothing to light your hair on fire about, but not exactly shiny, happy, joy, joy either. Okay. Yeah. Typical. Typical. Uh, some follow-ups, although not very many this time. Um, just more Pegasus news continuing to break because obviously people are continuing to investigate. Uh, five French cabinet ministers were caught up in Pegasus. Um, so someone used Pegasus or paid Pegasus to spy on cabinet ministers in France. Five of them. Oh, isn't uh, that lovely? So yeah, uh, noteworthy. Yeah, so th- that's the NSO group stuff, software, right? Correct. 
Um, and then in terms of social media developments, uh, we have two, and I'm going to put both of them in the uh, good news bucket. Hmm? So first off, Facebook has paused the Instagram kids. Uh, basically, they were developing a version of Instagram for kids under 12. Okay. And people went, that's not a very good idea especially given the recent Instagram stories about body image and stuff. Yeah. So they've uh, hit the pause button on that one for a while to have a better think about how to do that. So probably for the better. They, they seem and to be, they do seem to be trying to think it out, you know, where clearly yes. their, their main motivation is, you know, get them while they're young, but they seem to be trying to do it in the right way, at least from what I've read. Enough of the right way. Yeah. To, you know, because they still want their profit margin, but they also don't want to be seen as pure evil. So they're they're like, mm-hmm, what do we do? Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't as harsh on them as so many people were two weeks ago. Um, so I stand by that. Um, and then definitely, definitely in the good news column is YouTube isn't just banning anti-COVID vaccine stuff. They're just banning all anti-vaccine stuff. If the vaccine has been approved, then you're not allowed to talk pseudoscientific nonsense about it. Interesting. So if it's been approved, so if it has full FDA approval? Yes. Interesting. But if it's got emergency approval? I, to be honest, I didn't read that fine of print, um, but given that the, the vaccines are now, the COVID vaccines are now, at least one of them is now fully approved. Yeah, one is full FDA approval. I wonder if they're doing that by country, because, I mean, does that, is that different in Ireland? I mean, you guys aren't following the FDA approval cycle. You've got your own approvals, no, right? No, we have the EMA, because we're very boring, the European Medical Agency instead of the federal, whatever. Oh, okay. Actually, ours is FDA, Federal Drugs Administration. Yeah. And on food and drugs, yeah, because you don't, yeah, anyway. Yeah, why do you mix your food and your drugs? That's, that's an odd one, isn't it? We have different people for that. Yeah, you would think. Well, what, what is it we've got that's combined with tobacco and firearms? What's the other half of that one? Alcohol. The, alcohol, ATF. yeah. Yeah, those shouldn't be in the same bucket either. I'm just saying. I, I, I don't actually take them together. How right? about alcohol really and food go together? <laughs> drugs off by itself, firearms by itself. Maybe three agencies. We could fix this. All right. Well, that's good. I wish they'd done this a lot sooner. As usual, they're late. Yes. But, you know, better, better late, late than, than never. never. <laughs> um, and then I decided to make this next one a deep dive because it's not one story, but it's not not one story. It's basically been one heck of a two weeks of Apple and security stuff. Hmm. Um, it, it, when I was writing up the show notes, I was like, did I just forget to remove stuff from my RSS reader last time? Is this like four weeks worth of news? Nope. No, no. All the last two weeks worth of news. Um, so I guess we can start with the easy stuff. Apple released iOS and iPadOS 15, um, a major security update, uh, sorry, major feature update. And for the first time, it is not a compulsory security update. You can update. We don't have to. That was fascinating. Why? Maybe because there's no longer a fun game to play to keep pointing out that Android users don't upgrade because, like, they're not even trying to catch up? I think it's a platform maturity thing. It's like the Mac gets security updates for a few versions back. Yeah. I, I think, particularly in corporate IT, where you need tools to manage. Basically, if you're going to deploy iPads at scale in a large enterprise... It takes time for you to be ready to gear up for a major feature change, uh, or to tool up, uh, I should say. And 
in the meantime, you don't want to be having the choice between having your tools ready and having your users ready and being insecure. That's that's not a good place for a CTO to be. Yeah, it it does. One problem with it, it is it does make it harder on developers that they have to keep developing backwards uh, to previous versions. It makes it a little harder. But they kind of do anyway, because even though Apple said you had to, people didn't. People went around for months or years with that red circle. Like years. I've come across iPhones, four versions of iOS back. Going, mm, why, is it, why is my email client not working? Right. Well, because right. your phone hasn't learned TLS 3 yet. <laughs> <laughs> but a developer could say, and I don't care about those people. If they're not willing to do that, I'm not going to develop for them. But if Apple's going, no, 14's fine. Well, but if you listen, so I like to listen to, um, oh, what's that developer podcast I listen to? Anyway, it's a developer podcast is out every two weeks and it's no more than half an hour long, which is great. Just the right amount. And they are always fascinated. They're, they're all watching their stats. How many of my sales are coming from which versions of iOS? And that's how they make their choices in terms of what features to put off another year. To force you know, what on can people. I target now. Yeah. yeah. So that is what they're all obsessed with. And whether or not Apple are supporting two versions, there are, uh, you know, until you get below five or 10%, you're not going to throw your users under the bus unless you're a really well off developer. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It does make it more challenging. It definitely, yeah. But, you know, as I say, I think I think it's a corporate IT thing. I, th- I think mm. it's a way of making it plausible to deploy iPad at scale. Oh, okay. Because, you know, you yeah. need time for Intune and Jamf and all of these things to get cut up and for you to get all your tooling up. So that's what I think is driving it. Oh, it could be. Um, yeah. So anyway, that is a development. And um, I had to, I was like, why is my phone not up to date? Oh, it's optional. Okay, then. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but it's not all good, though. There were actually some bugs. Um, Wait, did you co- did actual- you cover the iOS twelve part yet? Yeah, so I I, I was trying to set it out of sync with my show notes, I guess. Now let's go back in sync with the show notes because otherwise I just forget stuff. Um, <laughs> so to sort of underline the point that Apple are definitely being good about supporting or better about supporting older OSs, iOS twelve got a little bit of TLC along with macOS Catalina because they both contained a bug that was being actively exploited in the wild. And so Apple do seem to change the bar for the older versions of iOS, and the bar seems to be set at not hypothetical, but real. But when real stuff does happen, they do still patch a surprisingly long way back. Yeah, I I, I don't think they used to go this far back, did they? But see, they don't do it for run-of-the-mill stuff, right? But whenever there's reports of something in the wild, all of a sudden we have this conversation. We're like, oh, that's odd. Apple have just patched bloody blah. Right. So, but it's good. It's, it's, I think it's every time I go, what? <laughs> yeah, and likewise, I'm like, did I read that wrong? No, I read that right. Yeah. Um, And so the other thing that caught my eye is that, yeah, the update's optional. But one reason that it's optional is definitely not because of a lack of device support iOS 15 has a really good list of devices it supports. So, like I said, I really don't think that's why they're keeping the security updates for the older stuff. It's not because they've left, you know, they could have left all but a few phones behind or something, but that's not what they've done here. So, it's you know, if you want the shiny new features, you can upgrade even your old devices, but do bear in mind you may not get every feature because your hardware may not be up to it. Yeah. Uh, let let the record show that uh, I I booted up my Android phone uh, today uh, yesterday and uh, it says I'm up to date because I got a patch in February. 
apparently oh, that's all right there's definitely yeah nothing has happened probably not it's, it's probably yeah that probably is up to date yeah i'm i'm pretty happy about that mm-hmm. so basically we abandoned you in february is what that says <laughs> the last time this happened eventually they did come in though but huh. but like i couldn't force it it eventually just did it so and I, you have a phone that gets native android right you're not correct stuck with some vendor it's a moto g7 Oh no, you are stuck with Motorola. Yeah, there's your there's your well, gating. Yeah, there is that. On. Yeah, but still, security updates since February. Yeah, but I, I think I think it's Moto that you should be cranky at rather than Google in this case. But still, not probably. Good. Yeah. Um, if you do choose to upgrade, there actually are some security improvements um, that are available to you, and a few bugs. But we'll talk about the bugs later. Uh, so, you know, one of the stories sort of sums it up pretty well. iOS 15 launches with 22 documents security patches, including Face ID bypass using 3D model. Basically, hmm. they made it harder to spoof Face ID with the fancy pants mask. Okay. Which is good. Yeah. Uh, which is mostly good. Unfortunately, uh, for a few people who have uh, who have to wear CPAP masks during the day. Now, I used to have to wear one of those at night, but I never had to wear one during the day. That's the sleep uh, apnea mask? Well, that is, if you if you have sleep apnea, you wear a CPAP mask at night. Okay. Uh, it's continuous positive air pressure. Okay. There are obviously medical conditions where you need that during the day too, because oh. there's people saying they have to wear it during the day, and their iPhone used to figure it out, and now their mm. iPhone can't. Mm. Yeah, maybe Apple will, you know, fix that. So Send those people free of- Apple watches? Yeah, well, now that there's been a patch, because up until about five minutes before we recorded, that would have not really helped very much. But because uh, one of the biggest bugs uh, that came with the new version is that um, that wonderful feature where you can use your watch to unlock your phone while you're, you know, all masked up and COVID safe while shopping. That stopped working. Now, conveniently for me. I upgraded my phone after I went shopping last Saturday and I shop once a week. So I'm due to go shopping tomorrow. And the update just came out today. There you so, go. Uh, I'll be sure to do <laughs> well, that. It also didn't hit everybody. It did not hit me. Oh, interesting. Okay. So good. Yeah. Now I, I did a me. new could pave on my phone and my watch. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but that's the way it went. That might've, that might've helped actually. Yes. Maybe. Um, well, I, I I didn't dare do that. I wasn't feeling that brave. Um, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, find anything now. <laughs> well, it, I have. Yeah, part of me wonders. I did notice actually that when I did the backup restore onto my new iPhone, it didn't download all of my apps. It left some of them as cloud apps because I hadn't used them in a while, which is uh-huh. kind of interesting. Yeah. So I'm actually tempted to go through all the ones with the cloud icon and, and decide whether I bin. ever want them again. Yeah, you don't you don't need them fake, fake sitting there. I don't know. It, yeah, exactly. It, it is an interesting experiment, and it, and it makes you realize the things that you didn't realize you had set so like right now. Yeah, for, what's default? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I've been running with my watch actually being audible. I had muted it uh, shortly after oh, I got God, my I first watch. My and, it, and it's just kind of yeah. interesting when I'm out on my walk. I did not know that it would tell me how far I'd walked and, and my pace audibly. I didn't know it would do that. Huh. I knew it would do it, show it to me on the watch, but I didn't realize it would tell it to me. So that was kind of fun. Would be kind of nice when you're bike riding because you don't want to look down at your watch. Ah, yes, but my cycle tracking app does it into my headphones. Okay. Um, Good old map my ride. Um, Yes. 
Uh, yeah, no, I put my watch in silent mode like five minutes after getting my first ever Series Zero Apple Watch and I've never taken it out. I remember distinctly when I did it, I was talking to Lindsay and she was telling me something really, really important and my phone dinged and she said, oh, do you need to get that? And I was like, no. No. And I realized just her hearing it might make her think that I cared about what my watch was doing. I didn't, but it gave her that signal that mom is now distracted. And that was the day I turned it off. And I think actually one of the best things about the Apple Watch is that because it does so much taptically, that's way more subtle because you're the only person being potentially distracted and you decide whether or not to to look like you're distracted. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Whereas a Bing is for everyone. Um, the other thing we get is iCloud Plus. So iCloud Plus has rolled out, which is just a rebranding of paid iCloud options. But it does come with uh, some nice security and privacy features, some of which are still in beta, like uh, the private relay and stuff. Uh, but we can already start to make burner email addresses, which is very useful when signing up for stuff. And in a related note, um, one password have passed. Uh, one password have partnered with Fastmail to provide a similar service for people who are customers of both companies, which is an interesting timing that they announced that pretty much the same day iOS 15 came out. Good that timing, is, I That guess. is interesting. I, I, I wanted to take a, a... Bart knows I've been distracted. I've been looking at my phone searching for something because I really wanted to uh, to read out what Apple sent out about iCloud Plus. So iCloud Ooh. Plus is basically, if you were already paying them anything you get iCloud Plus. And people who are at five gigabytes a month paying nothing, they have iCloud. But what the email I got says, you've been upgraded to iCloud Plus for free. Great news. We've upgraded your storage plan at no additional charge. Bart, I pay them $40 a month. (laughs) I think you deserve storage. I pay for the family plan of what Apple One and I pay for an extra two terabytes of storage. So for no extra cost... (laughs) <laughs> it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Yes, that is, now, that is definitely we get, sufficient cost. We got iCloud Relay with iCloud Plus also, correct? Yes, but it's in beta. Public beta, oh. but beta. Oh. Oh, that's what the beta above the words mean in the email. Okay. So do you have to opt into it? Or is it just there? Don't know. Hmm. Okay. I haven't played with it yet. Yeah. Um, what I, what I am very, very, very interested in, and I was about to hit go on just before recording and I thought maybe not just before recording, but, uh, iCloud data recovery contact has, is now available if you have iOS 15. And I think that's a really big deal to help you get back into your Apple ID. If something goes wrong, if you get locked out. So what is it? Is it another person you set up? You have a few choices, actually. So I was in exploring the menu. So one choice is you, you, if you are a trust no one person, you can make it give you a key that you must then keep stupendously safe in like a safety deposit box or one password or something. And if you do that, not even Apple can do a password reset for you. You have asserted that you take full ownership, which is obviously highly scary, but the kind of thing that the Steve Gibsons of this world have been clamoring for for years. Now, there's a couple of Linux loonies who want it, and they'll be delighted. What's way more interesting to me is that you can assign someone to be your recovery contact. So they will then, basically, them plus you together can restore your access. Hmm. I'm assuming it means that an encrypted version of your password is stored under their Apple ID. And then, like with one password family, 
that same sort of idea. So basically, they have an encrypted version of your recovery key in their Apple ID. So assuming you don't both get locked out of your Apple IDs at the same time, one of you, you know, they can they can give you what you need to get back in. Huh. And so I am definitely going to do that. My, you know, myself and the better half will will swap do that reciprocally. Yeah, I don't remember ever hearing about that. It was briefly mentioned at the keynote as a little one bullet point. Oh yeah, by the way, we're making it easier to reset your password with recovery contacts. Next thing, mm. yeah. yeah, they hit us with a lot. Yeah, uh, actually, so you've, now, like, actually, sorry. Oh. Remember that I also watched the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. So it was an Apple person telling me stuff. On but a whether stage it was somewhere. the keynote or the State of the Union, yeah, that I'm not so sure of. Okay. Mm. Now I'm second guessing myself. It was that week, though. It, <laughs> it was WWDC somewhere. Well, the good news is um, uh, Bart is linked to a Mac Observer article that walks you through how to do it. Yes, and I did actually spend some time in the screens this afternoon, and I was about to hit go, and I was like, no, don't do this in a hurry. Do this carefully, so I will do it tomorrow. Um, and then another nice thing is that uh, if you are lucky enough to live in a country that has Apple Card, i.e. America, uh, there's a few extra fraud protections available if you upgrade to iOS 15, including the ability to have your CVV number change itself periodically, mm. or whenever you use it exp- Explicitly, instead of using the card as an Apple Pay card. Oh, really? Mm. So again, it's a nice little feature. Just you know, when you do have to use the card the old insecure way, where someone could you know remember the details, this way they change. How would they remember the details? They're not written on it, right? But if you use your card on a website, you're trusting that they are not keeping that information, right? That is the that is the reason credit cards should never have been used online because they were designed to be used on paper with a thing that went kachunk right, kachunk. Right. But but so the the number has always uh, been changing, right? Or no, it's consistent. But not when you use it. Not when you use it as if it's a normal card. That's when you use Apple Pay. Okay. You get the random numbers. But if you oh. use it in the way where you go into Wallet and make it show you the details as if it was a pretend plastic card, then it had a CVV two number. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So now every time you show the card, if you choose to enable it, the CVV2 will change. You keep saying CV, CVV2. We just call it CVV? Uh, okay. They're, I think they're officially CVV2s. Oh. That's what's written on the back of the cards. Um, I used to know what it stood for. <laughs> but now I don't. I've, ne- I've never Might be something that. stupid like pull- card validation value. Well, that's not going to help. I pulled out my Apple card to check. <laughs> no. I don't have it written on it. No, it is shiny, there, literally. It is shiny and heavy. Jeez, why are they all so heavy? Actually, mine doesn't say what it's called. It's just the <laughs> it number. Just the numbers. Yeah. What do I know? Yeah. Ours has a weird five-digit number, then a space, and then the three digits that matter. I've never understood what the five digits are for because nothing's ever asked me for those. Huh. Anyway. Uh, there was then a giant big uh oh yeah, we've already mentioned the mask bug, so that's a good one that, that's patched. Um so that's kind of the, the low-hanging fruit of the Apple stories. And then other than that, it was just lots and lots of Apple not patching things and making security researchers cranky. That, that seems to be the, the story of the last two weeks. Hmm. So a disgruntled security research, researcher released publicly details of a remote code execution in macOS. Uh, the researcher said they got in touch with Apple. Apple weren't being responsive. He gave them the standard 90 days. And then he went, well, sod it. If you're not going to help, if you're not going to answer me back, here's the details to the world. 
Uh, and I think we was extra cranky because Apple made a half-hearted attempt at patching the bug. They didn't include the details in the security notes and they didn't credit him. And they didn't fix it properly. So they basically, there's just no excuse for that. So they frankly. didn't credit him. He didn't get the bug bounty money. Bing, bing, bing. And they didn't do it right. And they did yeah. it. And they did it late. Well, or they might have done I'm it before sure. the 90 days, but they didn't do it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they didn't do it right in time. And they didn't give him credit. And when he tried to get in touch with them, they, they started ghosting him. And I can't, I, you know, I kind of like, I don't think I blame you for being cranky at Apple. And like, they fix the bug if you use only lowercase letters. And to defeat Apple's fix, you discover that there's a shift key on your keyboard. So, so the I, I understand. Away, I, I, do, is, I, I do understand being cranky. It does sound like he has an excuse to be cranky, but he didn't throw them under the bus. He threw on us under the bus. Well, did he? Um, because forewarned is forearm. No, forewarned is forearmed. Um, if you, we now know that iNet lock files are dangerous. I didn't know that until this was released. So it's a it's a very gray area. So in this case, the solution is very straightforward. Do not double click on an iNet lock file. So what is an iNet lock file? If you make a shortcut to a website, the Mac will save it as a 9-net lock. The only time I ever get them is when I drag and drop the proxy icon from Safari onto my oh, desktop. Yeah, I have seen those. Well, they're, they're, they call them web locks. Yeah, but the actual file extension is iNet lock. If you go into Safari. No, it's web Safari, lock. the finder. It's web lock. Okay, well, there's a one called a 9-net lock that's very much the same thing. Um, for I guess it's for network shares. Maybe it's if you drag and drop a network share, you get the oh. iNet lock. Okay. Uh, but it's basically it's a shortcut to an internety thing, and there's no real reason to ever get one of those in an email. So if you do, don't double click on it because it could run arbitrary code. Okay. According that, that to fileinfo.com, it's for an uh, internet location such as an RSS feed or a telnet location. Contains a server address, possibly a username and password for SSH and telnet connections. Okay, so like like hmm. a web lock, but more generic. Yeah. Because it could be any protocol. Oh. Uh, RSS locations will be created by dragging the icon Safari's address bar to the desktop. Dragging a regular website location will create a web lock file. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder if under the hood they're extremely similar mm. in terms of their structure. They're probably PDIST files. Yeah, everything's a p-list file in Apple land. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's the first unpatched bug. The second one is for information leaks on iOS. And if there were multiple app stores, this would be oh, a set your hair. I'm, so on fire. I'm sorry, Bart. I got so obsessed with what is an iNet lock file. The answer is just don't open anything that's dot iNet lock. Unless you made it yourself. Unless you drag and drop something to make okay. it. Don't open them. Don't run it. Okay. Don't open them. Yeah. It is really is that simple. Um, the next one then would be a set your hair on fire if we weren't living in a walled garden. But the fact that we are in a walled garden means that in order to exploit these four very serious vulnerabilities, the app has to get past app review. So realistically, we're probably not in the major danger. But nonetheless, the whole point of iOS's APIs and sandboxing is that it's supposed to stop apps from reading our data behind our backs. And these four bugs leak information, not like a sieve, like a fire hydrant. They 
basically allow installed apps, if they were to be malicious, to read pretty much anything of value on your iPhone. And Apple just need to patch them. And they actually did patch one of them in iOS 14. And then they forgot to apply the same patch to iOS 15. So iOS 15 actually is less patched than iOS 14. Unless maybe this this one that came out today fixed those. (laughs) Maybe. So again, the security researcher tried to report to Apple, tried to get the bug bounty program. And again, Apple basically gave him the cold shoulder. So again, cranky developer posted stuff publicly. And it's just a theme that Apple's developer relations appear to be very poor with the security community. They don't seem to engage. You know, that could be true. And I don't doubt that both of these happened. But what if there were 7,468 cases of uh, developers who found bugs, who reported them to Apple responsibly, and Apple worked with them, and Apple credited them and gave them the money, and then they fixed them and patched them, and we don't know about it, because those aren't the loud ones. There is some of that, but what, what's caught, like these stories have been bubbling around for at least six, at least a year, frankly, but yeah. the last six months they've been picking up in volume. And what, I, what has caught my attention is that these are not, you know, teenage kids who get cranky easily. These are seasoned professionals who've been doing this for years and who've been working with 20 million different companies. And Apple is not like the others. And Maybe. I think it's a culture clash. I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's Apple's secretive culture clashes with the concept of an open security posture. Maybe. Do we know other companies aren't like this? Oh, there are other companies that security researchers hate, and they tend to suffer badly from security vulnerabilities. I just mm. don't want Apple to be in that camp. Yeah. I just, I, this always reminds me of my, my father uh, told me he would never wear contacts because he always sees people in the bathroom fussing with him. And I tried to point out that all of the times people were wearing contacts and not fussing with him, he doesn't know that they're wearing contacts. Yes, which is why I haven't mentioned these stories in the last six months. But at this stage, I'm sorry, this is a fire. Seeing more of them. There has been smoke for six months. My eyes are watering. Maybe. I am prepared to to shout fire. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat my hat. Yeah, we'll never know. Because we won't know about all... uh, We won't know if there's three developers who reported things responsibly and Apple acted like a grown-up. Or if there's thousands, we won't ever know the answer. It's just interesting. Not thought conclusively, pieces. but uh, I am definitely keeping in my ear out for what people like Patrick Wardle and those kind of trusted people say, and they're not saying good things at the moment. Yeah, uh, this just in. I opened that weblock file, and guess what it is? It's a p list. It's a p list. Well, actually, it says bp list zero zero, and then and then a character that's not in the Roman alphabet. S-U-R-L underscore E, and then the URL. But I'll call that a P-list. B-P-list is a binary P-list, so you'd need to open that in Xcode. Yeah, it's only 100. So a P-list is It's only 122 characters. (laughs) Yeah, binary is compact. Yeah, fun. Anyway, um, that was number two. Uh, Number three, then, a rather elementary mistake in... um, You know this. You're a developer enough to know this. If the user inputs something, what do you do? You try to validate it. Exactly. 
So when you declare uh, a find my item lost, you can enter your phone number. Apple forgot the validation. Okay. You can put anything in there, like some JavaScript. And then when the person uses the QR code to go to Apple's web page, you get JavaScript of the atta- of the loser's choice executing on found.apple.com, which means it can do anything JavaScript can do, like redirect the browser to another page that looks like an Apple page with a login box and fish people for their iCloud password. So... Uh, wait a minute. So let me see if I follow this. So, uh, you're, you're a good actor. I'm the bad actor. You mm-hmm. lose your phone. No, no, you no, I'm sorry. Scatter. I, I'm sorry. I intentionally, uh, throw my phone in a trash can. Bart looks into the trash can. Let's only spend $29. Let's okay. Let's only spend $29. Yeah, okay. Let's do an air tag. So I, I drop an air tag in the, uh, in the, the lunchroom at Maynooth University. Bart sees it goes over to it, gets the little thing up, comes up on his phone that says, hey, this is somebody's lost this. And then it would uh, ask you, or it could redirect you to some other website where it's running JavaScript. Why would you put your iCloud password into that? What if you don't know that what's supposed to happen is you only see the finder's information, but instead you see an Apple page that has all, you know, that that has okay. basically yeah. been designed to make it look like what should happen. How many of us have actually found a lost device? Yeah, yeah, right. So if you do find a lost device, what should happen is the URL you end up at should be found.apple.com and it should ask you for nothing. It should purely tell you things. Hmm. And the things it should tell you are what the loser typed in when they enabled lost mode, i.e. my phone number is blah, please help. And if it's anything other than that, don't do it. I want to go do that. I mean, not put the malicious part in, but uh, but just just have it it say boogers or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think part of me is actually tempted to do it so I can see what it looks like. Because I haven't found anyone else's stuff. Right? True. And I have 20 million of them, as we joked about recently. I have figured out a really fun use of, uh, of AirTags. I don't tend to lose things, but... We go to Lindsay and Nolan's really often and then come back home. What I've done now is when we get three blocks away from our house, I bring up both of our phones with Find My and make sure we have my backpack, Steve's backpack, my purse, his drone. You know, we've got all the things we're supposed to have with us. You know, there's a feature you can optionally enable where it tells you when you leave stuff behind. And that that's another case for why you do a clean install. That is the default, it turns out, because I get alerts every time uh-huh. I leave my room that I forgot my purse. <laughs> well, I, I, I am now back physically in the office half time. And for the first time, my air tags are getting some exercise. Mm. And I was I went for my lunchtime walk and I was about five minutes into my walk when my phone buzzed and I looked out and I went, you have left your work backpack, your work umbrella and your work keys behind. I was like, yeah, I have. Yeah. I'm out for my lunchtime walk. Yeah. Uh, but then it said... Do it gave me an option. I don't remember the wording, but basically to say these items are allowed to stay in this place. And so now I click that button, and now my work keys and my work backpack and my work umbrella know that they're allowed to stay in work. Oh, okay. Okay. So the false positives are going to go down very quickly as as normal, you know, as my normal routine gets put in and it doesn't keep annoying me. So that's I was really impressed with that. A that it told me I'd forgot them, and B that I could tell it, no, no, that's normal. Yeah, Remember I did do that. that with my watch or with one device. 
oh, it was my new iPad mini. It told me that I'd left that behind uh, because that doesn't go everywhere with me, but I've got to make sure I don't. uh, I wonder if you can change that. Uh, Oh, yeah. Notify when left behind is off. So I could I could turn that back on. You could because it, home should be a place that is considered safe to leave things. If you told Find My where your home is, then it won't annoy you every time you leave the house. Right. But if because I go to Lindsay's and I forget to bring it, it won't tell me either. So. Okay. Yes. Swings and roundabouts there. Yeah, it is. It is what you need. Yes. Customize yeah. your notifications so they tell you what you want to hear. Oh, apparently I'm tracking. Know, apparently I'm tracking Kyle's uh, iPad and his MacBook Air, so I should check and see why his devices are in my account. <laughs> that is interesting. Yes. Uh, so that is uh, the third of our four Apple vulnerabilities, and the last one is makes my head explode. Uh-oh. So if you have Apple Pay and you have a Visa card and you've enabled Express Transit Pass, all of those three things must be true then it is possible for someone with a malicious terminal to trick your phone into making infinity amounts of transactions for infinity amount of money. At a transit the, pass? They have to have, the bad actor has to have a transit pass uh, machine, right? Uh, no, just a Norif reader. They're, the machine has to be malicious, so they've already made the machine. Okay. So they have to so, st- they have to steal your phone. No, they have to pass by you. Oh, stand close enough to you for the NFC to kick in. So unless you have an NFC blocker, oh. then if you're standing in a crowd like on a subway, that's close enough. So this is some handheld reader that they can walk by, or they put it in their bag because other people's phones are likely to be in their bag. So you could bump bags quite easily. I think I heard that the Apple card itself can't, uh, this wouldn't happen if it was an Apple card, but I don't know that there is a Visa Apple card. Why is it only Visa? Ah, because actually the issue is, I think reading as much as I can figure out, the issue is Visa are doing something, Visa are doing something weird in their validation because it doesn't mm. affect any other combination. It has to be Visa. Yeah. Uh, and so... Initially, there was a bit of circular firing squad, but there's a, the Visa's latest missive. Basically, Apple said it's Visa. Visa said, yeah, 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 but it's not a practical attack. Visa didn't say it's not us. They said it's not a practical attack. Oh, interesting. So where we stand is if, you, if all of these three things are true, Visa say, yeah, 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 we've looked into this. It's not a realistic fraud scenario. Besides, we'll give you your money back if it does happen. Oh, I just have followed infinite guarantee. I just followed the link you put to Naked Security. This happens when your phone is locked. That's the point of the. That's what makes the, the Express Transit Pass Express. So the idea is that just like if you had oh, you just a walk travel through? card, yeah, exactly. So these are to replace things like the Oyster Card in London, where you would just tap your wallet or whatever. And so the whole point is, you're on a tube, you're in a rush, you just tap your phone. So it's, yeah, that is, that is why it has to be all of these things, right? So just uh, Apple Pay, no problem. Just Apple Pay and Visa, no problem. Apple Pay plus Visa plus Express Transit Pass, problem. I like the, the one heading in the article is entitled, When Locked Means Sort Of. <laughs> <laughs> naked Security have a lovely sense of humor. I like, really even terrible news is fun to read on Naked Security. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. But anyway, if you 
if you meet those three criteria, consider disabling Express Transit Pass or removing your Visa card or I guess not using Apple Pay, but I wouldn't advise that because Apple Pay provides an awful lot more security than a credit card. Like yeah, just switch so switch cards, right? Yeah, switch cards, exactly. And slightly annoyed that my bank forced me, forced me. They pried my MasterCard on my cold, not dead hands. They, they basically said, sorry, we've given up our relationship with MasterCard. You're getting a visa whether you like it or not. And I was like, I don't. Uh. They were like, tough. Anyway, um, thank you all at Irish Bank. Don't even get me started on your app. <laughs> if I could strangle. Anyway. Uh, okay, so that is that is all the Apple news. See, see that? That is that like was, almost all the show notes. That was some medium. Yeah, so action alerts. Just a reminder in case you missed it. iOS 12 got a big, really important update. So did Catalina. Patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Meanwhile, Netgear released a security update for a remote code execution vulnerability. Ooh. Definitely patchy, patchy, patch, patch if you're a Netgear user. Check if you have a firmware update and if you do, apply it. Ooh. Good one. Moving on then to worthy warnings. Let's, let's um, be sure we put that in the good category. That's good. Netgear issued a patch. You should patch it. You want, you want your router manufacturer yeah. patching your router. That's good news. Correct. Because the bad news would be there's a giant big vulnerability in all Netgear routers and there's nothing you can do about it. That would be a bad news story. Yeah, that's when Bart says throw it in the bin. That is, yes, which I have said on quite a few occasions, but not about Netgear, to be honest. No. Other other brands. Worthy warnings. Um, Mozilla do this thing, uh, privacy not included, where they rank products. Well, they've expanded the definition of product to include messaging apps. And basically what it boils down to is if you'd like to do video messaging and you want privacy, use FaceTime because all the rest of them fail. That will be Facebook Messenger, House Party and WeChat. They are privacy not included. Meanwhile, Brian Krebs is warning people about active attacks against one-time passwords like Google Authenticator. This is now available as malware as a service. So the way this works is that... I don't want that phrase to exist. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that we have software as a service, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, pass, SaaS, IaaS, and I'm afraid there's also mass malware as a service. It is unfortunately a very viable business model, sad face. So what is going on is that if you are a criminal, you can now buy as a service someone to contact people in a way uh, it has been happening either in voice, as in they will phone you, or through instant messaging apps uh, like WeChat and those kind of things, where they will basically pretend to be someone and ask you to prove your identity with your one-time password and then in real time, use that one-time password to steal all of your stuff. Interesting. So they would have to be asking you for... The one-time passcode is not the same uh, login to login, is it? It varies by time. So you have about a two... But I mean, is it so basically with, every at the 30 same seconds, instant in time? At the same instant in time, is the, uh, g- the authenticator code for... Uh, Google.com and, and my I, Apple ID, are they the same no. number? No. So, so the, the, what, it's, it's actually a very simple algorithm under the hood. There's a, when you set up a, a, an OTP, a one-time password, there's a shared secret that you know 
and that the service you're authenticating to knows. It's, a, right. it's basically a hex key. Yeah. And you take that hex key and you take the current time to the nearest 30 seconds and you hash them. Okay. And then you condense that hash to another algorithm and you get six digits. That's all those things do. So every 30 seconds, secret plus time equals six-digit code. So, so it, the, re the reason I was asking that was that means that the, for this hack to work, they have to ask you where they want to log into to. to well, right? Okay, so the way it would work is you would start with a password breach of which oh. exist 500 million. Okay. They have your username, they have your password, they're missing your one-time code. But they have to ask you which service they're authenticating you about, right? In this Correct, messaging app? because that's who they're going to pretend to be. Okay, they're going to say, this but is But they Microsoft, have a password breach. And they already know exactly. you. Exactly. How would they, that's interesting, password how they would connect to you. You, the amount of places when there's a breach, it's not just your username and password. It's usually the entire user entry you have with them. Sure. So that usually includes your email address and or messenger contacts or whatever. Okay. Hmm. Or your phone number quite often if they get your full account details in a breach. So the breach is usually enough to... And the thing is, if you get a breach of 5 million records and 1% of them have a phone number, well, that's plenty to be getting on with. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Interesting. So I'm afraid to say that is the answer. So they basically, they know everything apart from your OTP. And so now you can just pay someone. I'm assuming they get paid like, you know, five cent a person or something, you know, someone working in a third world country somewhere. And they just pretend to be whoever and trick you into giving up your OTP. So your OTP should only ever be typed by you into a web page you have gone to where you know the URL is correct. It No bank... No service will ever ask you for that OTP over the phone or in an instant message. That is not how they are used. So just don't. I'd like it's, to pr happens, pretend I would have never fallen for that, but I don't know if I would have never fallen for that. Being honest, I'm not entirely sure I would, I would have been immune either. Uh, but I've known about this trick for a couple of years, so I've sort of been a little bit more skeptical. But in the past, the trick was only used like against really high-value targets, and it was like, well, hypothetically, and I think it might have happened once, but now it's as a service. <laughs> and when it becomes as a service, we all have to know. Yeah. And then our last worthy warning uh, was submitted. Was it Steve? Was it listener Stephen submitted this one? One of our Canadian listeners. So oh, yeah. Was... Yeah, I think it is. Yes. Stephen uh, Getz. Stephen Getz. So basically, in Canada... They, for some reason, allowed a private company to make an app to to put your uh, COVID pass on. And they don't seem to have done a really good job of vetting that private company for like basic competency in terms of security. Uh, because they ended up exposing hundreds of thousands of Canadians' personal data, including things like their proof of identity, i.e. photographs of their driver's licenses and passports and all sorts of stuff. Just... And what's worse is the response of the company was basically, well, it's a crime for you to look at that stuff. It's like, yeah, but it shouldn't be published. That is the wrong answer. That is the complete wrong, wrong, wrong answer. So if you're a Canadian, you probably should read up on that. That is, that is not yeah, a good news story. I don't see even one of the reasons this really bothers me is it's, it's terrible that these people had their records exposed. But mm -hmm. the secondary effect is that I know there have been like there's a site you can go to to verify that your vaccine records are correct. And none of me and my friends wanted to go to it because we figured it was probably fake. 
But we needed to go to it because it turns out our records were not correct and we needed to get it fixed. But our first reaction was, I'm not going to, it's probably fake, you know? So you have to spend time yeah. and energy vetting it to see you're either going to be too loose or too careful. And both of those can be, have poor consequences. Yeah. And I don't know, to, to me, these kind of things are what government is for. Yeah. So there's only one app in Ireland to do your vaccine pass and it's by the National Health Service. Sorry, we don't call it that. Um, but anyway, it's our equivalent of the NHS in the UK. And that, I guess they could mess up. But, but how do you, at least how do you no know doubt. you're getting that one is the question. I mean, uh, the well, website you're the looking for .gov. Oh. I would know you're going to the app store to get the app and it is the officially approved Irish COVID app. So Okay. But I telling mean, uh, which one's are, the official is the hard part, you know? Well, Apple only lets official apps get the COVID registry thing going, right? Um, if you go into your COVID tracking stuff, only apps that are approved from national health services or state health services are allowed in. So for Ireland, that's the grand total of one. And that's the same app that's used for our pass. Yeah, ours is a grand total of zero. So well, anything poop. we're going to as a website, you know. This was, like I said, yeah. just so everybody knows, the problem was they're not getting both of your vaccine records. So, oh. and and my sister-in-law thinks this may be why the difference between how many people have two doses and how many people has, have one is so wide. Because, I mean, I know three it's people, just keeping. four people who checked and it said they only got one shot and we'd all had two. So I don't know. Anecdotal. And I'm guessing you didn't get the second shot from like a completely different provider at random just for the crack. Yeah, no, same location, same. Yeah. No, it's Everything. just a, it's just a mess. Huh. Hmm. That's not good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on then quickly to notable news. Um, yeah, we start off bad and then we go good. Uh, so the Washington Post did a bit of digging. And unfortunately, they found that many major iOS apps are finding workarounds to Apple's app tracking transparency system. Oh, and really? they're using those workarounds to basically fingerprint you and track you anyway. Uh, and the list of naughty apps includes things like Yelp, Telegram, <laughs> Telegram? Telegram, yeah, that one made me cranky. Yeah. DoorDash, Cash App, Peacock TV. This goes on. So what they're basically doing is using every API they can get their hands on to try build up a fingerprint of you. So stuff, you know, like every little nonsense setting on your iPhone that's accessible through an API, you add them all together and you get a fingerprint. And then they're using that to track you cross app. Throwing, throwing stuff into the mix like your battery level at the moment and stuff like that. And is that Apple just allows going them to after them? the data. Apple are investigating. I hope so. It doesn't break the letter of the rules at the moment. It just breaks the spirit of them into 20 billion pieces. Because <laughs> the users have explicitly said, do not track me. And the apps are going out of their way to track. That, above all else, makes me cranky, to be honest. It's like, I have yeah, made doing it, it really, anyway. really clear to you. You asked me explicitly, can I track you? I said no, and you went, <laughs> did it anyway. It's like, I'm sorry. Starbucks, Grubhub, DoorDash, Peacock TV. That's nice. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's the bad news story. Now we get to go to good news <laughs> stories. And they both have American flags. Okay, good. So 
Uh, the FCC have ruled that phone companies must block carriers that didn't meet their new rules on robocalls. So oh. there was a deadline for new rules on robocalls to go into effect. Any company that is not in compliance is now to be blocked on all US carriers. Okay, so I'm confused. Phone companies must now block carriers. Phone companies and carriers are the same thing. Uh, in my brain. I No, I don't think that is true because the carriers carry things like the bulk calls coming in from the call centers and stuff. Okay. So, so you car- have a carrier, which is your cell company, but if you were a spammer, you would also have a carrier. Oh, oh, I got you. Okay. Incoming. Yes, precisely. Huh. Okay. Good? This is... Yeah, exactly. And then also good, uh, the FCC are fast-tracking new regulations for preventing SIM swapping slash port-out fraud. So they have released a bunch of proposals. They're asking for comments on those proposals, and they say they're going to move promptly. So they want the industry to reply with their comments quickly. Is this a Um, policy thing or a technological solution? uh, It will be a policy to enforce technological solutions. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, so some of the stuff on, off, on on the table is things like in order to port a number out, you must send the text message to the number and get them to with a secret code. And if they can't produce a secret code, then don't port the number, those kind of things. Okay. So if the, if the number had not yet been ported, then it would still go to the correct person in theory. Correct. So in a similar way that um, d- domain name ownership and stuff is proved before transfer. Yeah. So if you approve, if you check before the transfer, then it's all still good. So, I mean, none of this is rocket science, but the only way it's going to ever get done is if someone says thou shalt. So the FCC, they basically said we are going to say thou shalt, but if you'd like some input into thou shalt what, now's the time to tell us. Oh, that's good. It it's is intelligent. Good. So there we go. The, yeah, exactly. So I, I, the F, yeah, actually, the FCC have been good. And not just for the last six months. The FCC have been doing sensible things for a while, which is good. Okay, well, that's that, that's all I got in terms of scary security stuff. But I did manage to find a palette cleanser. Um, so probably one of the most famous photographs. Actually, no, sorry. I have a Wait, food you, for skipped thought that your, isn't. you skipped your interesting insights and just because it's cool. Yeah. I, oh, I, oh, I forgot it just because it's cool. Yeah, so the interesting insights is uh, a good article on Mashable sort of asking the question about how much does your car know about you and does it matter? And the answer is yes, it does matter. And thankfully, the conclusion on the article is our hair is not on fire yet, but maybe it's time we started to care about this before things go terribly, horribly wrong. So, well, it's, you know, it's not a happy story. It's not a disaster story either. Basically, it's not too late, but we really should pay attention to this. Noodle this one. And then just be... Yeah, just because it's cool. So we all love Let's Encrypt. And they have reached an extremely nerdy cryptographic milestone. And if you would like to understand exactly all the details, Naked Security have have it. But basically, it's really hard to become a certificate authority because you have to get your root certificate into every browser, including all the old ones people are still using from God only knows when and God only knows what weird device that's on their fridge or something. (laughs) And so Let's Encrypt piggybacked into the system by having their certificates cross-signed by an existing certificate authority. So they were basically, they were in the process of getting their root certificate everywhere, but they were already issuing certs because someone else was signing them too. And so that's how they were valid. 
Well, as of, I think it's the 30th of September, so I think as of yesterday, as we record this, Let's Encrypt is on their own. They are now, their certs are now held up by their own certificate and their own certificate only. So they're all grouted up. They've graduated. They're now a full certificate authority. Which is nice. That's cool. Yeah, we've definitely relied on them for a long time. Yeah. So palette cleansing. One of the most famous photographs taken on the moon is the picture that Neil Armstrong took of Buzz Aldrin. And you can see in Buzz Aldrin's visor, because they were literally gold-plated to protect the astronauts from all the nasty, nasty rays that would have destroyed their eyes. So it's actually gold, which is kind of cool. But you can see Neil Armstrong taking the picture in the visor. But the visor is really curved and distorted, and it's only a small part of the photograph. But with modern image technology, someone took the really distorted curved reflection, folded it back out, And so now we have what is effectively a selfie of Neil Armstrong on the moon. (laughs) That's so they made a what a rectilinear, uh, I think it's called when you you... yeah, they fixed it. Yeah. So rectilinear would mean that all the right angles were right angles. So that's means rectilinear means no keystoning. So that's really important for architectural photography to get it rectilinear. Wow. but, But yeah, so they corrected for all the distortion. And they zoomed it in and they made it all look good. So basically, it is now the picture we've never seen, which is of Neil Armstrong, because Neil Armstrong was the guy with the camera. So the picture we have is of Buzz Aldrin. But now we have a picture of Neil. That's cool. That's very cool. That is cool. Yet again, another A-pod. That definitely hits the uh, palate cleansing. Yes, I thought so. It made me me smile. It it was nice. And, you know... like you say, you don't read astronomy picture of the day every day, so you rely on the community to pick out the cool ones. So yep. there you go. Have yep. a cool one. <laughs> yeah, it's very rare that you'll show me one I've already seen because I wait for people to send me the good ones. Excellent. And I read them every day, so this is a good source of palate cleansing. <laughs> Between you and Caleb, I'm covered. Yay. Okay, well, that's all I got. Um, and uh, it is a little bit later than planned here. It's almost half past midnight, so uh, I think... I should uh, tell everyone to stay patched so they stay secure. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. Everything is fiddly recordings, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to be cool like Christian? Go to podfeed.com slash Patreon and go pick an amount you can afford to support the shows. If you don't want to do a continuing contribution, you can go to podfeet.com slash PayPal and do a one-time donation. Or if you want to join the community and get involved, like we're going to get people involved in our Slack even more in our programming by stealth portion of Slack, you can go to podfeet.com slash Slack and join the conversation. Or talk to Sandy and, uh, and uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Butler. L. Butler. Talk to them about using live text. You can do that at podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.